You're listening to Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this slightly longer episode 37 of Socialist News and Views. In this one, We aren't going to touch on the news today. We're going to go straight to our author interview that I recorded at Urban Cabin Studios. This author interview that I recorded at Urban Cabin Studios, it was recorded outdoors, uh, both for COVID safety and in uh, celebration of the book. The book is Ann Winkler Morey's Allegiance to Winds and Waters. And so you will hear some birds and plane sounds in the background, but let's go straight to the interview. On Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves, so tell us who you are. Um, well, I'm like an aspiring activist scholar, is what I like to think of myself. Um, I uh, have a PhD in history. Um, I worked in the Central America movement here in the Twin Cities in the 1980s. That was sort of my beginning of my activism. And it was very, very much full-time, um, more than full-time, for a decade. Um, so I did that, and then I went to graduate school, and I studied social movements, and um, especially um, anti-imperialist social movements. And um, as far as, and then I taught for, for 25 years, taught history and ethnic studies and various colleges in the Twin Cities. Mostly as an adjunct, um, tried to do some organizing around that. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah. So, as far as bicycling, I um, bicycled in my 20s and then didn't until my 40s. And um, ne- was never, never saw myself as, as a... You know that as an identity, but it's interesting with, right. with this book. Right, um, that's how people see me. So right, and that you know, you know yeah. that gets right into it. You wrote this yeah. great book that yeah. came out earlier this year, and mm-hmm. in the um, in the book, you went on this journey, took a journey on a bicycle around the United States, and so you know, what, you know, what did it take to come did to that decision that? to go around the United States, and then maybe even maybe even more complicated. I don't know what did it take to actually you know turn that into a book. I'm glad you asked that. The book was the harder part, <laughs> even though the trip was very, very difficult. Um, I guess the short answer is I got laid off. And um, I kind of had this idea of a big, epic adventure of some sort um, for since I was very young. But, um, but the, you know, that was the, that was the Great Recession. 
was it 2008? 2008? It was 2010. Actually. 2010, okay. It took, so, it took St. Cloud yeah. State a It took a while, years yeah. for them to uh, lay everybody off. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was, even though I taught and studied, you know, radical economics and I understood on an intellectual level right. that I was, you know, part of this system on an emotional level, I didn't at all. Very fair. Very, very depressed. Um, so, so it was sort of like, I don't know if I can do this, but I can't do anything else. I couldn't find work. You know, right. Let's, let's do something kind of crazy. <laughs> it was a tough time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you did, you'd had the idea in your head for a while. You got laid off, and so you thought this is the time to do it. And you and you weren't the only person who went on the trip. Yep. So you had to convince a, someone so, else yeah, to go on the trip. My spouse, my partner, David, uh, is a Minneapolis school social social worker, and um, so he was able to take a year off. Nice. Um, and uh, the, the idea when we were thinking about it is that he would take a paid year off, take a mm. sabbatical, and we would do research on you know. Right. And bullying around the country. Sure, sure. Like no, that. that's. But uh, that was taken out of the contract uh, at that time. Yeah. And um, so it was quite irrational financially, but it was sort of like, this is the time. This is when you're going to do it. You're not going to do it any other time. So you right. went on the trip. We and were getting older every. Right, every exactly. Minute, so. it's, not, it's not getting any easier yeah, to right. bike all the way around the United States. Right. So it's like you go on the trip, and right. so was. Did you all. Did you always think, oh, this is going to be a book, or was it? Did you have other ideas well, of what I didn't it might form? Think it might. We would make it around. <laughs> right, I right. I mean, I really wasn't sure we'd make it through Wisconsin, so I never. I um, so I started um, started blogging. Mm, right. I did know I wanted to interview people, and I did have kind of, you know, um, teaching at Saint Cloud State and. And, you know, commuting from South Minneapolis, I had this experience of being this, you know, urban person right. going. And, and the students that I was teaching were really from even smaller areas. Mm, right, uh, yeah. So St. Cloud State. So, yeah, yep, so. at St. Cloud State. And so I've been thinking for years about the, the urban-rural divide and how, you know, how to, how to reach my students, right? right? And how to how to listen to them um, and have a, a worthwhile exchange. I taught classes on, on race that were mandated for the students, and many of them did not want it to be there right. at all. And so, um, anyway, so I had that, those kinds of things that I was thinking about. Um, and I, I read this study in 2011 um, uh, about... The, the, they, they asked the right questions <laughs> about economics, right? And they found that if they asked the right questions, that 92% mm. of the U.S. population want an economy like more, more equitable than Sweden. Right. And, you know, that was across the red-blue divide, right? right? Um, and they also had, you know, real... We, in the United States, had real misconceptions of of just how um, you know how large the the uh, 
the haves and right. the, you know, the inequality, the, the yeah. inequality ones, right? right. So, um, so sort of armed with that, it's right? Like, so if that's what we all want, why don't we exactly? Why don't we have it? Right? Yeah. So, um, and I think it's very hard to have those kinds of conversations across lots of different divides, right? And the thing about bicycling with a lot of bags on your back is people are curious. Right. And so for an introvert like myself (laughs) um, uh, and an urban person trying to reach out to lots of different kinds of people, um, uh, the bike is a wonderful uh, catalyst for conversation. And... I think I think it's because people know that you're um, can can see you're doing something kind of extraordinary, right? Trying to fulfill a dream. Um, they not only talk to you, but after the, the kind of questions about miles and they tell you what's really deep inside, and um, it's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, <laughs> and so so. Um, so my goal started to become just collecting those stories. Right. And the book only has about a third of those stories. Right. And that, yeah, I was going to say, because yeah. I was telling you before, we went on this long walk, me and yeah. my dad, yeah. and it was the same kind of thing. We yeah. had, you know, I had some construction workers and they were like, weren't you w- walking like seven miles down <laughs> yeah. there earlier this morning? Yeah. And we're like, yeah, that was us. Yeah. Or we had another, uh, these yeah. ladies that came up to us in a car, like in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how they found us there. And they yeah. came up there like, Weren't you walking yesterday? <laughs> this was down by the ice cream shop, way right, down near right, here. And right, we're like, right. yep, that yeah, was us. Yeah. And they're like, so what What, so what are you doing? Why here? are you doing yeah, this? Yeah. So, you know, there's yeah. a lot of that. So you got the stories. And then when did it, like it just, it came out not too long ago. When did it actually feel like, okay, this is actually coming together as a book? Was that? Well, I really, you know, I had, I had the stories. I had the blogs, right? And basically, I needed to learn how to how to write a book that, right. that, that people would keep turning pages. Right. Um, well, you did that so for sure. That's great to hear. Um, and, you know, I, I'd written a dissertation. <laughs> so, um, so I knew, but academia doesn't teach you how to right. write for a popular audience. So you had to spend some time yeah, learning. Like, how do I make this the yeah. kind of book that I want it to be that's going to yep. engage yep. and help you know, also help people have those conversations, you know, right. outside of the book itself, you know, like right. in their own lives. Right. And well, speaking of that, um, you know, I think I, I gave you a, uh, uh, an area. Do you want to read sure. a little, uh, sure. snippet from the, sure. from the book? Yeah. So this is a part that you picked, which I really like, really appreciate that. Um, so this is, um, just to, so we went on the long bike trip and what the, the, um, path that we took was from Minneapolis to Minneapolis, you know, following the contiguous uh, border right. of the United States. So here we are in, in New York, up, upstate New York. Okay. Okay. And this is on the Erie Canal towpath, um, which is now a path for walkers and bicyclists. Sure. That used to be. <laughs> um, used to be the towpath. Right. The Erie Canal towpath. A dusty, tree-lined lane across a creek bed, dotted with towns at perfect intervals, promised a serene ride to Albany. Mules and men once sweated here, towing barges from the Atlantic coast to the Great Lakes to profit global traders. 
today, capital still extracted wealth from this upstate corridor in the form of produce and cheese. We ate a pound of local tart cherries next to a 12-foot concrete red apple, a monument that said to the fruit growers for their contribution to the local economy. A sign at the Cambria city limits read, Right to Farm Town, warning urban interlopers enjoying upstate New York beauty that they had no right to complain about agricultural noise, smells, and sights. As we entered Cambria, we saw a grower on his tractor overseeing three farm workers. We found no monument or posted ordinance to honor or protect the rights of these men weeding cabbages or their 80,000 fellow workers who had been marching on Albany for years, demanding overtime pay, a day of rest per week, workers' compensation when injured on the job. Leaving the towpath cool, we joined trucks and commuters on the steamy shoulderless thoroughfares into Rochester, New York, through impoverished neighborhoods that made our destination, a stately mansion, even grander. Tom McCart, a laid-off Episcopal priest, offered ice water, showers, pasta with tomatoes and pine nuts, a glass of wine, and a tour. The city was depressed. The Service Employers International Union called for wage increases to fight Rochester's poverty, but town bigwigs had another idea. The Erie Canal used to run through downtown, Tom told us. They moved it to the edge of the city a century ago. Now they want to move it back to attract conventions. He drove us through the historic Rochester Cemetery. More residents here than in town, he observed Riley. We visited the grave sites of Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass. Anthony's white tombstone was knee-high with no special inscription. Douglass's sons had made sure he had a stone worthier of his stature. <clears throat> On it, visitors left versions of a favorite quote. Without struggle, there is no progress. Yeah, that's super great. It's, I mean, yeah, the thing that you do, I think, you know, you really, um, you know, uh, I like the difficulty of the ride, you put the humor in there, and you also, you know, get to the point of, of talking about all these different struggles in these different areas. Did you, I mean, you know, you've taught a lot of this stuff, so did you did you know a lot of this stuff when you were, like, getting to these places, or was there a lot of stuff that you actually learned about on the way? No, that's, that's really good, because I, um, I had a feeling of being extremely ignorant mm. the whole time I was on the trip. And it was a really, really good feeling. As somebody who had been teaching, and you, know, you stand up in front of people, and you're right. supposed to know everything. And while I had a sort of a structural, you know, I have a concept of right and wrong, and right. what the, 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 the SEIU are in the right, and the right. bigwigs are in the wrong kind of thing. Yep. Right? Um, but um, things about, about the way in which... So I studied Latin American history, right? Right. And I didn't realize to the extent um, how much the United States um, is is really just very much like a Caribbean. <laughs> you know, each mm. little town is a one-product economy. Right. Right. And um, um, and the destructive nature of that I understood from studying Latin America, but to see that. Um, uh, in the United States, and the way in which you know corporations are able to come in, ravage a community, right. and leave, and just the the criminality of right. that to 
keep riding through it one place after another right. and to see it's a lot. You know, what, yeah, yeah. Um, and and to be constantly um, confronted with the the inequality because we went through all of the neighborhoods. We went through the gated communities and we went right. through the you know, the impoverished communities and and um, you know, issues like water and <laughs> Right, you definitely had some points where you didn't yeah. have access to water for yeah. a while too, you know. Yeah, yeah. so um, we could actually feel that. Right. right. And there's more and more droughts too, so I think yes. more and more people are dealing with the fact that they don't have uh, yes. water. Yes. Yeah. You actually mentioned it um, before that some of the, uh, you know, only a third of the stories that you encountered actually made it into the book. Um, you know, is there anything else that, uh, you know, any other stories that you want to share, like a behind the scenes of uh, things that didn't make it into the book mm-hmm. that you were like, you know, I'm sure there was things around the edge, like, oh, should I put it in? Should I not put it in? And then you decide, okay, this one's going to stay out, but you probably still feel like, oh, maybe I could have put it. Yeah. Is there anything like that that comes to mind? Well, I had a really hard time um, leaving out the, um, I, I really wanted people to, to understand that all parts of the country were feeling the same kinds of, um, uh, you know, the Great Recession was really a Great Depression. Right. You know? And we were seeing it right there on the ground and the, the, the suffering that people were going through. And it didn't make good reading to just keep showing, right. it, you know, in one town right. after the other. But, but, um, so you know, choosing the, the stories to tell um, like that were, was was really hard right. because I was really concerned that people not think there's one part of the country where that happens, and, right? You know, or or things like you know, um, racism, you know, right? Or you know, those kinds of things that there's some somehow you know this is more the south or not. The north. Right, right. I think the That's south really, north thing is the right. big, especially yes. if you're coming from Minneapolis and right. you you know. Right. Oh, we are. People Definitely say a lot of things. Regional, I mean, the regionalism is right. so strong. And there's something really positive about that that I didn't know about. Right. Which is people's love of of the of their regions, of of their localities, of right. things like mountains. Right. <laughs> you know, or or oceans. Right. Or those kinds of things. And that attachment to the kind of land that they live right. in. Right. Was really beautiful, and mm-hmm. I, I, having moved all over myself and not feeling that kind of rootedness, um, I just found that incredible to right. to see that everywhere. Was Was there any specific story that comes to mind, or any specific thing that specific, didn't make it into the book? Well, the, um, that you uh, yeah. liked. There was there was a didn't like maybe as it were. Yeah. I don't know how this story ended up not getting in there, but there there was a man. Uh, um, Outside of Ann Arbor, that we met, um, it was at at a wayside, and um, within about three minutes, he told us he was sixty years old. He had been a construction worker for forty years. He had been divorced for twenty five years, and yet that was the most important right. emotional thing going on with him. He had ten kids. He had one kid who had been murdered told us all of those right. things and then he said after it um this is a first for me to meet people like you mm. and i didn't know what he meant 
but I knew it was a first for me. Right. It was that interchange was just so, so amazing. Right. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, these small towns, there's not a lot of like people coming in and out of the town a lot of times, unless it's like a university town or something. Well, this was right out of Ann Arbor. It's, you know, sometimes there is, but you know, a lot of people don't really, again, everybody's in their own silos and they don't see the other people that are around them sometimes. So you get the whole life story in three minutes. Yes. All the way back, twenty five years. Most important things, at least, yeah. And i i was I was saying that you know this this book reminds me a little bit of the book Travels with Charlie, the Steinbeck book, and I think in the same way that uh, you know there's an element of you know trying to find what America really is, what's really going on in America. You know, he says in there that he hasn't he hasn't been traveled around the country in a while, so he doesn't really know what's going on out there. Um, But also finding yourself. You know, so in the final analysis, do you think that um, you learned something about America? What did you learn about America? And then, you know, what was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself from this trip around uh, the United States? Well, as I said, you know, when I lost my job, I was not able to, you know, have this intellectual understanding, right. but not an emotional No, yeah. And so I became really aware of the way in which imaginary thinking affects me, mm. even though I have a lot of education right. know, and a lot of, a lot of experience, activist experience, etc. Um, and so it made me much more empathetic to the kinds of um, um, imaginary thinking that other people have, right? mm. especially around issues of fear right? and making yourself safe, feeling, mm. you know, and so there are these things that make absolutely no sense. Right, I mean, right. we have this we have this wall on our border. Right? right, you know, it's supposed to make us. We're spending billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. on border security, right? And there's so many things that right. we need to make right. us ourselves make safe our from. Safe, safer. You know, it makes no sense, but you understand how emotionally, right, right, that works. And understanding that makes it much easier to start thinking about okay, how do we unravel that? Right, you know, and if I you know, have I, I, I'm operating on all these imaginary ideas. Um, I mean, my hierarchy of fears just toppled <laughs> right. on the trip. Right. And that was really important because then I have to question, you know, their, the veracity of any of them. You know? Right, <laughs> right. Like, and none of this makes sense. Right. On an emotional level. Yeah. I already had on an intellectual right. level, but on an emotional level. I said, you know, when I when I've gone on longer walks, I talk about it kind of like being outside the matrix yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like you're like seeing all the stuff from the outside, and you're yeah. like, this person's going across this bridge, and they're rushing to here, or whatever. And I'm just like walking, and I'm seeing all these things as I go along that you never would notice otherwise if you're just driving by or flying by. Yeah. And it, and also people are looking at you like you're crazy yeah. for walking this long distance. Like why have they invented cars already? Why is this person walking? Why would they use their legs? This makes no sense to me. I don't understand this. And they're giving you these weird looks and you feel like you're like, you know, this outsider person who's like looking at everything. Um, and so you said, you know, this imaginary thinking and how do we unravel that? So do you think, do you think there's hope for that unraveling that? And you know, okay. you think that's something that we can do? All right. Did you get any hope out of the trip? <laughs> yes, I did. And now, you know, people keep asking me, well, isn't, aren't things just so much worse now? Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that. And I think the, um, 
I think, you know, since I got off the bike, um, you know, the, there's been a burgeoning of social movements. Right. right. It really kind of started with the Occupy while That's we were true. On, the, on the bike. And, um, you know, you've seen monuments actually fall. But, right. You know, uh, the, <laughs> Literally, the, yeah. The Confederate Highway in Virginia is now, in, you know, Independence Highway or yep. something like that. You know, so, so um, now those are maybe in some ways symbolic, but, um, but I think the trajectory, you know, and, and, and inequality is greater, right. right? And we saw that, you know, with the pandemic things, just, you know, the billionaires got richer, right? Um, it laid bare. Right, it laid bare, right. So, um, so things are worse and better. Um, and you kind of see it as, you know, there's this undercurrent <laughs> of people organizing and, and, you know, underneath the, the, what's happening. Um, yeah. But I think in terms of answering the question people keep asking me, isn't it, isn't it totally different? Like, does it, does this... Isn't it worse, yeah. I, I'd say no, because the, the, the trends are the same. Right. right. And the trends were the same before, you know, I mean, we've been, billionaires have been getting richer right, since right. the 70s. And, right. You know, so, um, so the way in which we organize is not, you know, the same. It's the movements are developing, the right? We don't. We have the movements. Yes. We didn't have the same. The yes. same things are going in the same direction they've been going, but we have going, movements now yeah, that we didn't have. And they're more intersectional than they've right. ever been. You know, people are learning from. Them. We're more connected than we've <laughs> yeah, ever been. Yeah. We can just reach out to somebody right. and talk to them. We can right. connect easily right. and everything. Exactly. Um, you know, you were you. You know, when you said about the um, symbolic victories, I mean. Those, a lot of those statues were symbolic when they went up, right? Because they didn't exactly. go up right at the end of the yeah. Civil War, I, I you know, for important. the Confederacy, right? Like exactly, yeah. So it's like yeah. they, they went up as yeah. like a message to say like, yes. you know, stay yes. in your place, yes. basically, oh, yeah. to a lot, a yep. lot of people that weren't, you know, white, yep. rich males. Yep. And so then, you know, taking them down, it's symbolic, but hey, it's it's a good it's symbol. Also, yeah. it's, no, a, no, no, it's also it's real, also, and it's also yeah. a good symbol to take down. Because it's you know it, yeah. it's it's serving a purpose yep. and, and um, these things you know whether they're holidays or right. monuments or museums they're places for they're you know spaces for organizing right and and when you said the other thing I I didn't actually touch on when you said about how um you know all Americans across different spectrums want all these different things mm-hmm. or want you know a, a much more equal system um, I think that's something that also I don't know if you if you saw it, I don't know that it was that popular, but um, Where to Invade Next by Michael Moore, mm-hmm. which is actually, was originally supposed to be actually about U.S. Uh, invasions, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, he, he tempered it because he's uh, afraid to cross the Democrats or mm-hmm. something these days. But he, um, but in that one, it was actually about how a lot of these ideas that are used in Europe and other places actually started in the U.S. Mm-hmm. with earlier organizing, and then Absolutely. they were transposed somewhere else. And so he's talking about what other ideas we want to bring back. And he just again and again shows, you know, for Medicare for all, yeah. you know, getting rid of, you know, a huge chunk of student loans, all this stuff, you know, 60, 70 percent, 80 percent of people support it. Well, why is it not happening? Because, you know, because the people that are super rich that you know keep getting elected and all of their buddies that are super rich, you know, don't want it to happen. It's not anything to do with the, you know, the regular citizens. So clearly there's some uh, some breakdown in in the democratic process of translating what us, the people actually want into action. So. 
you know, is there anything else you want to share about the book, about, you know, politics in America or things we haven't discussed about the people yeah, and conversations? I, I like to talk about the commons. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I think if we want to, we think about wanting to change uh, the, the, you know, who has the resources and who right. doesn't, we think about expanding the commons, expanding the resources that we, that we hold in common. Mm. We're talking about a park or we're talking about right. uh, schools, etc. Um, and I think, you know, as a bicyclist, we use the commons 24 hours a day just about. You know. um, but what I started to think about is, um, you know, this, this idea about, about, uh, about government versus non-government that sort of has become part of the, the right-left. Right. You want more government or less government? Right. And I, I, I really think that that's the wrong argument, and that's just something that I came up with. You know, as so a, looking as at a the result, comments. Yeah, that we need to think about access and justice, not not who's doing it. Right. I mean, for example, you here are doing, you know, creating this public space in your backyard. Right. right? This is not a public space. Right. Exactly. That's um, the idea. Right. Right. But you've made it one. Yeah, and um, I think that's great. Yeah. I think, you know, right. I think hopefully coming out of what we're coming out of, it seems like people are motivated on this yeah. front. Yeah. So I yeah. think I think that's a good avenue that, you know, that we can start talking about this common space. And I mean, it's so many years ago, it's like it's even hard to find like a meeting space. If you wanted to have a meeting or whatever, it's like you got to find like maybe a church basement of somebody like church or like, you know, there was a few meeting rooms you could rent at different places or there was like one that was free, but it was like super inconvenient to get to. It's like yeah. it really showed how little, you know public space there was yeah. saw the big black lives matter protest at the mall of america which kind of acts as like a public space but of course that got shut down with the giant screen telling everybody they had to leave immediately or they'd be arrested and there was all yeah, kinds of hand, fbi but they were there they were there they, were there. they yeah, used it as a public there. space so it's yeah. like yeah. you know we got to start you know yep. just demanding and yeah. i love when they still call um Called Government Plaza, the People's Plaza. They were they were doing that for a few years yeah. after Occupy. They would still on yeah. the news sometimes say they were down at the People's Plaza or something. I just love that, that because they yeah. totally pushed it into the yeah. into the mainstream dialogue in a way that you know was just unavoidable. And yeah. like that's the kinds of things that we need to be yeah. you know taking on from every institution, from every angle, every individual. You know, like trying to push for you know, like you said, common space, yeah. common areas that we can. And the other aspect of that is the common space that we already have. For right, example, right. Public parks are are contested, right, in terms of who who has access to them. Right. And you know, I was so excited about common space in Cleveland when I was there on my bicycle, because it was so different from you know the rural areas that right. I've just gone through in Ohio. But you know, when Tamir Rice was murdered in one of those public parks that I had had so admired I thought you know it, there's we, you can't you can't just have right the the commons you also have to protect their access you know, yeah you no it's constantly true be fighting for their access and we've of course seen that in Minneapolis with the homeless encampments and, right in the parks and it's been an ongoing thing yep. the police always step in and they're there to police yep. race and class and right. do all those things that they were set up to do and yeah, well, I really appreciate you speaking with me. I really love the book. Like I said, I've got it out to uh, uh, 
my my mom and my mother-in-law they're both reading it right now they both think it's great so um you know who knows maybe they'll be biking around the country before we know it i don't know i'm guessing not but you know hopefully they'll get inspired i think um it's a really inspiring book and i hope it creates a lot of conversation thank you thanks for talking with me This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford.